VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, nerds, and welcome to a special uh, spooky edition of the Engadget podcast. It is Halloween weekend-ish. Right? Sure. Uh, okay. I am your host, Terrence O'Brien. Joining me this week is Devendra Hardware, senior editor in charge of... Zombie reanimation. That works. I'm dead right now. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. Uh, and also joining me, uh, editor in charge of distributing candy corn to reporters who missed their deadline, Dana Woolman. Oh, yeah. If you missed your deadline, you get candy corn. Yeah. And like a penny for your UNICEF box. Yeah. <laughs> um, candy corn thrown at you, though. If I like you, I'll give you mini Twix. I could go for some mini Twix mm. right now. Yeah. A little candy to start my day. That's breakfast of champions. Right? Yes. Candy and coffee. Candy and coffee. So how are you guys doing? Doing okay. It's been a lot of lot I'm, of news this week. I'm great. I, I was telling Terrence, mm-hmm. I slept nine hours last night. Oh, wow. So I'm feeling great. Okay. Um, but you had a busy day yesterday. Yeah, I did. Yeah. We'll, a lot we'll, of fun stuff. We'll, we'll get into that a little <laughs> bit later. Um it is Thursday morning when we're recording this, mm-hmm. uh, so by the time this goes up, there will have been a big Apple event, mm-hmm. um, and there will be some news from that, which we clearly don't know at this moment in time. Yesterday was a big Microsoft event. Uh, this morning was Twitter earnings, which we're going to dig into a little <laughs> bit later. Uh, it's just been a crazy, crazy week, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully Dana doesn't have to throw candy corn at anybody. Um, yeah, that'd be, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started. No. Uh, Do we want to jump right into it? Sure. And start things as we do every week with Flame Wars. You guys know how this works. We're going to debate the biggest uh, stories of the week. You get 20 seconds to make your opening statement. If you go over your time, I give you one of these. I'll allow you time for a brief rebuttal. At the end of that, I will decide uh, who has the stronger argument and award you one point. We're going to do a thing at CES on stage live to punish the loser and... Okay. Reward the winner. And then we'll start this whole thing over again. We're That's just going to CES. That's the punishment. But yeah, okay. actually, it's, well, the punishment is we send you to CES to cover it all by yourself. Uh, I've <laughs> done that, so that's fun. Yeah, so have I. It's, uh, it's not great. One of the worst things to ever have to do. <laughs> um, let's start with Apple. Again, this will probably be confirmed by the time this podcast goes live. But right now, mm-hmm. as of this recording, we do not know for sure. Whether or not this is true, but except Apple leaked it itself. Yeah, yeah, it's kinda. in their own documents. Yeah, yeah. It, that's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's probably going to happen, but it yeah. looks like the new MacBooks are not going to have an escape key. <laughs> um, I'm going to hold back on my opinion on this, <laughs> uh, but a- Apple t- just loves to get rid of things sometimes. Yeah. But there uh, will be that OLED Touch Bar potentially. Yes. Right? So so. Um, I guess kind of my question is, is this the sort of thing that's like <laughs> essential that Apple's going to get a lot of blowback for, or is the escape key uh, an obsolete thing that probably needs to die, much mm-hmm. like the caps lock key should? Um, Dana, you can go first. So I'm preemptively annoyed by this whole magic toolbar thing in general, but the escape key, getting rid of it, um, I think is an act of hubris. I think it sucks for programmers, and I think it sucks for really anyone who considers themselves a keyboard power user. And there are some people out there don't mess with their setup that they use all day, every day. 
in right under the wire, uh, Devendra. Yeah, that escape key doesn't really do much, though, even for programmers. And uh, Apple is adding potentially uh, what we're hearing, this OLED strip above the keys. Um, and you could easily put an escape key there or a cancel key or something temporary there for full screen video. I don't you'll never, know, I don't you'll never know, buzz me, Terrence. I don't even know why I let you do this segment, Deventra. <laughs> um, so, well, here, let me co- go back to you real quick then. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to throw it out there that I am currently using an X1 Carbon from Lenovo, which it doesn't have an OLED strip, but it has one of these like magic key strip things that does a whole Context-aware of- strips, yeah. yeah. Um, and as much as I love my ThinkPads and I love this laptop... That thing is garbage. <laughs> um, why should I believe that Apple would do a better job with this? I, I mean, just in general, Apple, their whole thing is taking ideas that have already been tried and kind of refining them. Uh, honestly, I'm not too excited about the OLED strip either. It's just I, I'm surprised by the pushback against removing the escape key um, compared to like removing the headphone jack, which is a fundamental <laughs> feature for many feature, for many people. Dana? Mm. I think I'm, I'm also, it, it's, there's, we're talking about the usefulness of the escape mm-hmm. key, but I'm also just annoyed by Apple's hubris. Um, like oh, this, oh, this yeah. is a standard American layout QWERTY keyboard. Uh-huh. Um, who is Apple to mess with it? <laughs> I'm annoyed by its, its, its hubris here as much as I am the removal of mm-hmm. a classic um, long-standing key. I guess I'm, I'm a little more open to changes. Like I've been a big fan of uh, Microsoft's natural keyboards for a while. Those have this like split decision and that has saved my hands from all sorts of carpal tunnel injuries. So I'm, I'm fine with people. But like Microsoft didn't take a button away or like move the cue to the right no. side of the it's keyboard. Yeah, but you use the cue. You never use the escape key. <laughs> I don't I do know. Sometimes. I use it fairly frequently. For what? You just want to escape life, Terrence. I mean, it doesn't that, work that way. Okay? I, I definitely do. I do get frustrated occasionally <laughs> and just slam the escape yes. key in hopes that it gets me out of my day. Um, but I mean, just even something simple, like if I'm watching a video yep. on YouTube and I want to exit out of... Contextually aware OLED script cancel button. Yeah, Boom. see, here's the thing is, I don't know that I trust that contextually It'll be in the same thing. spot in as the okay, escape so, key. Okay, yeah. so then... The operating system needs to be contextually aware yes. for a variety of different media plugins, a variety of different browsers. It has to know when sites and all that. Like, it sounds like the sort of thing that's going to be so reliant on uh, developers and yep. Yep. Uh, websites and all these other services to do the work for Apple, which always seems like a bad idea to put the this is true. Emph- like to put yeah. that brunt on somebody else. Although it's probably not that difficult to just detect when video is being played, even if it's from like a, within mm-hmm. a web browser or something. Uh, Dania, do you have any last? Yeah, I mean, so I would probably be slightly less annoyed about all this if Apple hadn't dragged its feet on updating the MacBook Pros in the first place. Yeah. But there are people who've been holding off on upgrading for a long time, and now their ability to get the Mac a new MacBook Pro with fresh technology and the most up-to-date technology hinges on their willingness to um, change their habits, which is mm-hmm, annoying. Right. I think I'd feel a little less annoyed if they had already refreshed it and people who just wanted faster performance or longer battery life could have done it mm-hmm. already. Um, it does sort of feel like, um, I don't know. I don't know what verb I'm looking for here. <laughs> I don't want to say shoehorning, but... Um, well, it's the opposite of shoehorning, right? Because it's just kind of, it's mm-hmm. retracting. Um, <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
Not surprisingly, I'm going to give this one to Dana, but I do want to explain uh, real quick that this this is less to do with specifically, I think, the for me at least in terms of this argument, less about the escape key specifically, and more, I think, about the point that she made about this standard layout, um, and this is pretty universal and pretty used, and I'm mm-hmm. going to go back to the example I have in front of me of this Lenovo X1 Carbon that I love slash loathe, uh, <laughs> because it has one major difference on the keyboard well it has two differences mm-hmm. that this did get a re- re- get rid of the caps lock key and yep. instead you have to double tap shift to caps lock oh wow which okay. i do constantly that's on terrible. accident that's and terrible. also instead of the backspace key wait being, so that's why sometimes when you im me it's accidentally in all caps yeah and i think you're shouting at me yep. sometimes <laughs> that makes so much sense now and then the top right key instead of being the backspace key is the delete key huh. so it's like these small little tweaks yeah. really throw everything off. Like, that's understandably problematic. Yeah. I The escape key is like, you know, having a cut on your pinky finger, it's annoying, and maybe you'll get used to it eventually. I mean, I also think re- think back to when I moved over to a MacBook for the first time, and I didn't have a home and an end key, and I went, what is this world that I've suddenly moved <laughs> into? I don't know how this works. Right. Um, it seems like the sort of thing that... I don't know why you would do it. Like it just yeah. it just doesn't seem to make much sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's not going to be the end of the world, but it's going to piss people off <laughs> for no good reason mm-hmm. it seems. Well, what is I mean, at some point we will have to rethink these keyboards, right? And how we use them. And what do they what do these things mean? What does escape mean? What does tab oh, mean? What does shift mean? Don't like, get me wrong. Yeah. The entire keyboard is yeah. uh, an anachronism at this point, basically. <laughs> like, none of these keys make mm-hmm. any sense. The only reason we have QWERTY is because of what typewriter style, right? And yeah. Getting those arms in place. Um, so, at some point, all this has to be rethought. Maybe we'll just like lose one key a year from <laughs> Apple. I think like the larger issue is Apple habitually telling people that their current habits are bad and that yes. you're doing it wrong and that you should do it their way. Yeah, And their true. way is the right way. But, you know, it wrong. I think that, yeah. The headphone jack. You're escaping is, it wrong. Yeah. I like I'm still more annoyed by the headphone jack than any of this stuff. I mean, I think that's understandable. I am also more annoyed by the mm-hmm. headphone jack. Yeah. Uh let's move on to our second topic though. Uh we didn't really get to talk about this last week, and um I feel like we need to. Mm-hmm. Nintendo announced a new console. Yeah. Uh, we kind of blew by it because I think they were in. Annou- it was in the morning. Yeah, they were announcing it while we were yeah. recording the podcast last week. Um, so the Nintendo Switch, which yes. is a combo home console slash portable console. Mm-hmm. Um, and Devendra, you wrote this piece, right? The About how the best Nintendo is, the, is a desperate Nintendo. Yes, yeah. Um, so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about why people should be excited about the Nintendo Switch, and this is going to be a great console. Uh, mainly because it's Nintendo doing something different in a way, just like they did with the original Wii and uh, even some of their older consoles, right? Um, they're not playing the same game as everybody else and combining their strength in portable with like a decent amount of power, not the same as desktop power, but you know, it's, uh, I think that'll be exciting. It'll be a different way to do consoles. Dana? I'm not even going to argue with the <laughs> innovativeness, the uniqueness of it, but I do question whether it will be the best of both worlds. You can't pack as much hardware into the console itself, um, but it doesn't, from the photos, it doesn't look like it will be as comfortable to use as a truly portable or truly mobile mm-hmm. console. Um, so I have questions about that. Both, both keeping it real tight You, today. no buzzer for you. I know. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Um, so... One of the things, I guess, 
Do we know the size of the screen, Devendra? I don't, you know, we don't have any exact specs. The screen looks like it's about seven inches because it looks very similar to the Wii U gamepad. Um, so I'd assume seven okay. inches, yeah. So, so question there is, do you own a Wii U? Yes. And that control tablet, what are the yes. ergonomics on that? Like, like is It is that not a- good, but that... It, the control tablet is a huge thing. It has like big curves. There's a lot of bezel around it. It looks like a Fisher Price toy. Mm. Uh, I kind of love it for Mario Maker and playing things away from the TV. Um, but my thing with the Wii U is that I want that. I want the ability to take the game away from the TV and just like walk to the bedroom or walk outside and keep playing my game. And that's exactly what they're doubling down on with the Switch. Uh, and you know they're kind of moving back from some of the other ideas, like having a second screen. That was the big sell with the Wii U, um, and nothing really took advantage of it other than maybe Mario, um, you know, Mario Maker. I mean, Dan, doesn't the versatility of this do anything for you? I mean, I know you're not a gamer. You know, it sort of does, but also I think one of the biggest things Nintendo has going for it is the social aspect. Um, people's um, the thrill of of gathering around a Nintendo and playing certain mm-hmm. classic party games it's not really a party if you wander off into the bedroom by yourself no but this is i mean (laughs) so the thrill what they're doing is taking that thrill and letting you have it anywhere because you can take this you know tiny console uh, pull off the controllers and give one to your friend and you'll be playing mario kart like in the park Mm -hmm. or on the bus or something so it's taking that living room experience anywhere which i i think i'll love so I have I have two mm-hmm. questions about that. Uh, for those who haven't seen mm-hmm. uh, the promotional video reveal video for the uh, Switch, you should go watch it. It's three it's, minutes long. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not particularly long, but there's several scenes uh, towards the end, especially where they seem to be playing up this social aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole lot of stuff around uh, the 3DS and the DS original where you could like connect with other people the wii and the wii u are very much built around this idea of party games i mean like mario party i can i've spent so much of my high school years Mm -hmm. playing mario party uh that it's shameful uh but this seems a little bit different because you aren't gathering around a tv you're gathering around what essentially is a seven inch tablet a tiny screen and trading back and forth these tiny little controllers that are like I don't even. They they were they they're small. tiny. They looked super. They looked like tiny. miniature NES controllers with like the maybe directional stick, uh, directional pad, and two buttons to mm-hmm. select. Uh, the ergonomics, yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll have to see how that works out. But I love this idea, right? Of like local multiplayer. You can also bring two switches and have them like back to back and play a game. Um, so that'll be four people playing on two separate consoles. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing seems pretty cool if they can actually make it work four-player split screen on a seven-inch tablet? No, no. Well, (laughs) two players on one, two players on the other, and then kind of playing a game across both. Um, So I guess my last question for you, Dana, is a lot of people seem to think that we're coming to the end of home consoles as we know them anyway. Is this just kind of Nintendo getting out ahead of the curve as, like, mobile gaming grows, especially, like, casual gaming on the phone and... We've seen the first, like, non-standard jump in, like, console generations. This is a like, half-step jump. Yeah, right which now. has never really happened before. Mm-hmm. Happened before for Nintendo, you mean? For consoles in general. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know... We're it's, seeing plenty of half-steps now, aren't we? Well, we are now, now mm-hmm. is what I'm saying, is we've already seen some disruption in the way the console market works, and we've seen this increased move towards mobile and towards... Uh, sort of a more uniform way of doing things. Is this just Nintendo kind of getting out ahead of the curve and going like, you know what the next barrier to breakdown is? 
the difference between consoles and mobile. In I mean, it, it it could well be, um, especially the push toward casual gaming. And this is a point that I do agree with Devendra on from his piece, which is that it could potentially be Nintendo learning from its mistakes. And I think one of its biggest mistakes in recent years was missing the boat on mobile. Mm-hmm. It's trying to catch up now, mm-hmm. but... Um, this this would mark a different and maybe better approach for Nintendo if it could be a little more experimental and um, I don't want to say on trend, but yeah. um, aware of how the market yeah. is changing. They're always experimental, but those experiments don't work mm-hmm. all the time, right? The game pad, the Wii U thing, was like a play towards tablet gaming, but they lost out on what makes tablets so useful for gaming is that you could take it anywhere. You could be in a car and play like a game on a big screen, and that was always the big appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not second screen stuff. Yeah. Uh, I am going to give this point to Devendra. I, I, I do think that, if nothing else, Nintendo had to try something new and radical mm-hmm. at this point to keep themselves relevant. Um, and they're doing that. Whether or not it works is something else, but yeah. we'll see. Based on the responses I've seen on Twitter, like, yeah, people are super excited about this. But I've also been in a lot of arguments with, like, Silicon Valley people who are like, well, Nintendo should just go all in on, like, the iPhone platform and just make games for that. And that, to me, seems like Nintendo's selling its soul completely. So I yeah. never want to see that happen. Yeah, because that worked so well for Sega. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and remember them? Um and I, now I want to move on to our last topic of the week. I did this one just for you, Devendra. <laughs> this is this is my special gift to you. Oh, man. Uh, so Netflix showed their first trailer for their Resurrected Gilmore Girls yes. series this week. Um, and I basically have two questions here that I want, to, I want to get to. A, do we really need to bring back Gilmore Girls yes, specifically? Do. Yes, we do. <laughs> Hold up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> And two, isn't it time for Netflix to kind of move on and stop resurrecting shows as a matter of business at this point? I can, Mm -hmm. I guess, I'll let you guys discuss this and obviously make your points, but this, it was something when they did it at first, it seemed to make sense, and now they've continued it, Mm -hmm. um, and they seem pretty unique in that respect. Um, Devendra, I will give you the first shot to defend the Gilmore Girls. Well, first of all, the Gilmore Girls is a fantastic show. And uh, as soon as it was put on Netflix, I saw it like just rise in popularity. My wife, I showed it to, she got through the whole series in like two weeks. Wait, That's wait, like wait, six wait, seasons. Wait, wait. Yes. I'm going to pause yeah. your, your timer. You showed it to your wife? Yes. Oh, I'm geez. breaking gender norms left and Jesus. right, Terrence. <laughs> Continue. But the show is great. The show is fantastic. Um, so it makes sense for for not Nintendo, uh, Netflix to like really invest on one of its most popular series. Uh, I got to buzz Devendra. <laughs> I got to buzz you over the Gilmore Girls. Yeah, it feels good. Great, <laughs> Dana. Um, Gilmore Girls. Uh, Gilmore Girls. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan. I'm, I think it's overrated. Um, it's certainly no Felicity. It's no Dawson's <laughs> I like Felicity Creek. too. I like Felicity too. Um, but Netflix keeps, they need to just do something more original for their originals than bring back old shows. Um, it, it doesn't, hey, you're on my team. <laughs> yeah, I know, you still ran out of time, and now we can deteriorate. System into- is rigged. Sure, sure. <laughs> System is rigged. It's rigged against you, Dana. Yes. <laughs> Actually, to be clear, it's or, it's rigged against Devendra. I've already yes. marked the point down for Dana. Yeah, this is all a, fight, a losing battle. But Gilmore Girls is fantastic. The show, I mean, yeah, later seasons, not so much. Same with Felicity, by the way. Um, so we agree on that, okay? We, yeah, and I, w- I, I really do like that show, but I said it mostly to 
mess with you. <laughs> yeah, you won't mess with me because I like Felicity. Okay. And also gave us J.J. Abrams, who's now doing Star Wars, mm-hmm. so, who did Star Wars, yeah. Um, so, but, so to your what you're saying, I get that Netflix needs to do more original stuff, but the thing is they have been doing that, a ton of that. They've been bringing in shows from other countries and like branding them as Netflix originals, but they've been doing their own content too. And uh, with like some of the Marvel stuff, so I think it's a mix of things. Like this is a definitely a nostalgia play, but I think an important one because um, it'll get those Gilmore Girls viewers to come back and like check out this new stuff. It'll also get more people in that loop of catching up. So it's, it's good want. for business for yeah. Netflix. I don't actually think the content is the same. It's not mm-hmm. the same when you bring back a show like Arrested Development or yeah. Full House. It's yeah. never going to be the same when you bring it back. Uh. So I think in a way it's, it's better for business for Netflix than mm-hmm. it is for the nostalgic viewer who just yeah. wants a good show to watch. It depends on how it's done, right? Arrested Development was kind of experimental in the way they brought it back. Didn't quite work. I know a lot of people hate that season. I, I There's a lot to like about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as a guy who was a big fan of Arrested Development, mm-hmm. like, it was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing, yeah. Because they were trying to go for this weird nonlinear narrative thing where you could watch any episode and just, like, know the story, and they, like, did pieces of character stories throughout all the episodes. Didn't quite work, but it's all up to the writers. It's yeah. up to the creators, and they're getting... Um, you know, Amy Sher- uh, Sherman Palladino back, so that's that's all great. Um, but I mean, the, ne- mm-hmm. Arrested Development was the first of those like big names that they mm-hmm. brought back, right? That was like the first big show they resurrected. Yeah. Um, and since then, they've done it countless times. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who Fuller House was for. I don't that know who Fuller weird. House was for either. Yeah. Um, in in preparation for today's episode, I, I sat down with Dana and we were looking over the entire list of like resurrected or rebranded you know in theory full, fuller house was for me i used to um look forward to watching full house as a kid on oh, on yeah. friday night but i actually um would be too embarrassed to watch <laughs> it now not embarrassed like in the sense like it's a terrible show not embarrassed like i worry about what you you think of me but embarrassed like i cringe at bad yeah. tv and bad movies yeah mm-hmm. And I don't like watching people embarrass themselves. Along with doing this, Netflix is doing things like BoJack Horseman, a show which directly like comments on that whole like full house genre and is so weird and depressing and hilarious that I don't think any other network or any like I can't imagine anywhere else, maybe HBO that could run something like that. Well, I, I guess. So here's my question then is. They have things like BoJack Horseman, which I haven't watched, to be oh, honest. I know I need to. Terrence. I know, I know. That show was made for you. I'm sure. I've heard <laughs> this. Uh, but doesn't doing things like bringing back the Gilmore Girls, which is personal opinion of Gilmore Girls yeah. aside, a have you Have you actually seen Gilmore Girls? I have seen every episode of the Gilmore Girls at least twice. <laughs> okay? So you were tortured by the Gilmore Girls. I... I loathe the Gilmore Girls <laughs> with every fiber of my being. So good. It's like all of the things that I hate about Aaron Sorkin f- fed Ugh. through We're a fight. Fed through a lens of like <laughs> uh, waspy New England women. I it's just yeah. it's I have yeah. no interest. It does nothing <laughs> for me. Um, <laughs> but I mean, doesn't we're gonna that, have a fight on the podcast right here. Like yeah, this, we, we really going this, across the table. <laughs> this a fight almost broke out in uh, the chat room the other day over this. <laughs> But does it doing things like this kind of water down their brand at some point? Like, mm-hmm. Netflix is trying to make this play for being a home for, like, great original content, pulling people away from cable and all that stuff. And they're spending so much time mm-hmm. and effort and money doing things like Degrassi, the next class. No, but people you know Degrassi. what? Like, how- I love yeah. Degrassi. The next class is garbage. I think that ship has sailed. I mean... 
Netflix, to the extent that it's a modern-day blockbuster video store, has tons of crap on it that Netflix mm-hmm. itself didn't produce. And also some of the stuff it does produce is also crappy. House mm-hmm. of Cards, I love it. I'm addicted to it. Is it still a crappy soap opera? Yeah. 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 I mean, well, I gave first, up the season. I yeah. stopped watching it, too. The first season was very, very good. Yes. I loved it. The second so, like, season... This idea that Netflix only does and airs high-quality stuff, like, that ship has sailed a long time ago. It's more like, how long has we spent talking about Netflix on this podcast? That's why they do it. Yeah. It's, it's brand, mostly just because they want... Get their brand out. Yeah. They, they want people to yell about the Gilmore Girls thing and get excited. And also, a point I see made quite a bit, too, is when they have original series, those can go in any territory. And now that Netflix is global and all over the world, like they don't have to pay rights to bring those shows there. So they want as much original stuff as they can, even if it's a reboot. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I... We, as we established earlier, the system is rigged, and uh, I am awarding Dana the point just because my hatred. I wish for I had Gilmore a Bernie Girls. Sanders voice. <laughs> I won't do a Trump voice. Um, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Devendra, I'll have my Gilmore Girls, and I'll be happy. Yeah, and you've won plenty before. Uh, <laughs> I'm just scoring personal points here. Yes, I get. I very rarely. And get I could use that. a few wins. I don't usually win on this. It's show. true. You you do need a, a a healthy bump so that you don't end up at the bottom of the lily the uh, pile for no. CES. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> you don't want to be the one who gets tortured on stage. No. Leave that to, like, Velasco. Yeah, because he'll he'll be all for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that man has no shame. It's true. Hey, nothing wrong with not having <laughs> shame. Uh, but now it is time to move on to our next segment in Open Sourced and uh, dig into sort of the, the what goes into a lot of our coverage here. And I want to talk about Microsoft and okay. yesterday, Devendra, you spent some time at the big Surface event. So why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I spent the whole day with Microsoft. Uh, a lot of stuff happening. Uh, I'll save the most exciting stuff for the end. Uh, but they announced the Windows 10 Creators Update, uh, which is going to be coming in spring and uh, has a couple nice changes. Uh, Paint is now going to be called Paint 3D. I think it's going to be. I don't know if it's replacing Paint. But Paint 3D is a new app, just like Paint, that'll let you create uh, 3D objects. And they're really aiming it at kids, because a lot of kids, paint uh, Microsoft Paint is one of the first things they end up playing with. Uh, you'll be able to create 3D objects, bring in stuff from Minecraft, which is pretty cool, do some edits there, and straight from there, 3D print it. So Microsoft kind of has the whole uh, cycle of like building and mm-hmm. creating and producing 3D printed objects. That's kind of interesting and probably the most fascinating thing about this update. Uh, beyond that, there's going to have built-in game broadcasting too, which is kind of cool, although I think people who are doing this are already doing it on Twitch or something. Um, and uh, yeah, beyond, uh, there's a new sharing feature, which puts your closest contacts like in the taskbar so you can quickly like share files with them or send them mes- messages. Uh, I'll have a longer story on that coming soon. Um, beyond that, Surface Book is getting some new hardware, more battery life, faster processor, faster graphics, and the Surface Studio, which is Microsoft's Surface All-in-One, which is gorgeous. It is which a was machine. rumored, but I think somehow managed to be surprising and impressive to you yeah. guys, even though you've kind of went in thinking you knew what you were going to say. Yeah, see. we thought the rumors were like there were going to be multiple all-in-ones uh, with some sort of like rotating display. Uh, but seeing it in person, it's a 28-inch screen, uh, gorgeous resolution. It's like 4,500 by 3,000 pixels, so higher than 4K. Uh, and the key feature is that the screen floats down. You can kind of push it down to 20-degree angle which is about the same as a drafting table and seeing that in action it's just gorgeous and moving it yourself like it's it's so easy to move uh they made it so that even a five-year-old could do it but it also the screen can be in any angle in between 
being straight up and uh, 20 degrees. And it's pretty solid there, too. Uh, it's basically a mini PC with a giant screen, right? It has an Intel 6th generation processor, decent NVIDIA mobile graphics, not desktop graphics. But you could plug in up to 32 gigabytes of RAM, a lot of storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the ultimate computer for professionals and starting at $3,000, too. So those are going to be the people who are going to be buying it, like MacBook uh, or Mac Pro users, yeah. potentially. That, that's not a small price tag. And, I mean, yeah. they, they also have, like, a bunch of accessories mm-hmm. and stuff, too, right? Yeah, there's uh, so they have this new thing called the Surface Dial, which is, think of, like, the best uh, audio amplifier, you know, d- dial that you could think of. It has a great feel to it. You could put it right on the Surface Studio screen, and it opens up other options uh, depending on the app you're using. So in Photoshop, uh, it'll let you actually change the color of the palette or change the size of the brush. You can kind of uh, choose how it works. Uh, basically, a way for you to use both your both of your hands at the same time to create and get in the creation zone. It's pretty cool. It's something I haven't seen before, and it'll also work with other surfaces, although not on their screens. You'll have to like keep it on the desk. Does it also have a pen input like the... Uh, yeah. Okay. And it has a Surface Pen, too. I think it's slightly improved, um, but it's basically the same as we've seen before. And also, not as exciting, there's a new wireless keyboard and mouse. I'm a big Microsoft like input device fan, so that looks cool to me. Uh, and they, they're they going to have a Surface ergonomic natural keyboard as well, which I cannot wait to test. Which we've already yeah. established you're a huge fan yes, of those things. Yes, so good. I don't get it. It feels great. So you had fun yesterday. Yeah. I had fun, like, as much as I could have fun getting up early, waiting out in the cold for an hour. And, uh, you know, I, getting to play with this hardware is pretty cool. I got to talk with some Microsoft folks about how they did it. Uh, this device is just really intriguing, you know. You look at it, there's only one cable coming out of it. That's the power cable. Everything else is kind of uh, the display cables, the audio cables, has to, they're in the hinge. Like, they're actually in the hinge that's uh, bending up and down. So it's a very clean-looking device. We, I've honestly never seen I've never seen a desktop that looks like this. Even a Mac, it's so different from even the iMac. And they're pitching it. It seems like Microsoft's whole big pitch now is pitching it at the people who would normally buy an iMac. Yeah, the very high end iMacs, like the twenty seven inches, or even I think the Mac Pros. And yeah. those professionals are people that Apple has honestly ignored for the past couple of years. They've com- the Mac Pro is an aging machine with old hardware. Um, it was a cool design, but a lot of people didn't like it because it's not very upgradable. You can't do much with it. Same thing here. You can't really upgrade this, but it's a really nice, compact way. And this screen is just a new form of interaction we just haven't really seen before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Microsoft showed off a couple apps, I think a Sketchable, which is sort of like a pr- uh, drawing app. Another one is like a motion comics app. I forget the name of that. Um, but anybody who's drawing, uh, drafting, doing architecture type stuff, there's a company uh, there's a company that builds uh, architecture software that's been using it too. All very cool, very useful. Like people who really want to get their hands dirty with it could be, you know, it could be a good thing. It's sort of funny to see us come full circle because the first mm-hmm. Surface, even before the first commercialized Surface product came out, it was that big, um, just big Surface display. Yeah, it was a big, like the big coffee table. Yeah. I think it was even, wasn't it like a CRT? I don't even think it was so, LCD at that no, point. No, it was, it was it like wasn't huge. CRT. I think it was uh, rear projection. Yeah. It yeah. took a while, but we finally come back to this big, expansive mm-hmm. canvas of a display mm-hmm. that people can use to... Well, the Surface Hub is a thing that's out and being sold right now, too, and that's like an even but bigger screen. And that's not for consumers. $8,000, like, $9,000, yeah. yeah. That's for businesses. This is more for professionals. Right. Honestly, I don't even think the Surface Studio is really for consumers, like typical consumers. Um, rich, curious, early adopters, maybe. maybe. Those people, yeah. yeah. 
But I mean, so so here's the thing that's sort of interesting to me. And uh, mm-hmm. Robbie, one of our editors, wrote a piece about this yesterday. Is like you were saying that Apple's kind of ignored this professional class for the last little bit, and they've mm-hmm. pushed more towards uh, targeting your average consumer. And now Microsoft has said, you know, we've owned this like productivity, this office thing for so long. Now they're making a really explicit play for like the creative types that Apple has yeah. always had cornered. It's a pretty, I mean, it's, yeah, making the play for creatives is kind of new for Microsoft, but it kind of goes down to the way Satya Nadella has been pushing the company. Like, he's been positioning Microsoft as a company for people uh, who get things done. You know, it's a very pragmatic uh, philosophy, but it works because, like, Microsoft products have not always been pretty, but I've always been a Windows user because I've been able to do more with it. It's always been more flexible than, like, Mac OS and definitely more than Linux for me. Um yeah, so they're kind of honing in on that philosophy, and it kind of makes sense. Like, hearing Nadella was there at the event, whatever he says, I don't know who writes his speeches. It could just be his him writing it himself, but he is so inspirational in everything he says. And Microsoft is really hammering down the idea of creativity and believing in creators and makers and things like that. And it's just weird. That's stuff you'd normally hear from Apple, you know? Is Do you think there's a lot of money to be made there, though, or is mm-hmm. it purely a status play? Because I, I think, you know... Apple had that market cornered. They yeah. had, like, if you were a designer, if you were a writer or whatever, you used a Mac. But even with that market cornered, Apple barely survived the 90s. Yep. So for for Microsoft, do they actually think there's, like, this big untapped market that they're going to make a ton of profit from? Or are they just, like, we want to have Surface yeah. uh, Studios in on TV. It does seem more... It, I guess it's a bit of everything, right? It's a status thing. It shows that Microsoft can build a giant all-in-one sort of PC like this. Um, But in some ways, it also shows the future of desktop computing too, right? You are not just staring at a monitor. You're maneuvering it so it's more flexible for you. You're, you know, uh, painting on it with a stylus. Uh, You could do a lot more than you could with computers in the past. And the industry is just so different now. So I think there is a decent market here. But mostly it's for Microsoft to say, hey, we can do this. And the Surface has always been kind of an ideal for other PC makers. So maybe it'll push others to kind of be so creative too. So I think this is, I don't want to call it a hobby. I think it Mm -hmm. really is a real business for Microsoft. I just don't think it's going to be their bread and butter. In a way, I think Microsoft is in a similar boat as Google. Um, You could take away both of their device businesses and they'd still be fabulously rich, Mm -hmm. um, big companies. But I think similar to what Devinger was saying, it's it's helpful for a company like Microsoft to have a flagship device that is not only a beacon for other device makers, but really puts the software in its best light. I mean, I think mm-hmm. this is great exposure for Windows itself, even if not that many people need a Surface Studio or end up yeah. buying You'll one. You'll walk by it in a store and just be like, wow. And that idea is incepted in your head that Microsoft makes products that make you say, wow. So I think that's kind of the big thing. And we saw last year the Surface business overall has surpassed a billion dollars for Microsoft. Mm. It's probably not making much profit, but the business is growing very quickly. Yeah, it, it's done better, at least in terms of pure revenue, than I think yeah. a lot of people expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, early on, wasn't there a quarter where they actually had to write off? Oh, yeah. The oh, first, yeah. the Surface RT, a- it was basically almost a billion dollars, like right. 700 to a billion they had to write off. So now that it makes yeah. any money at all is an That's improvement. Something. It doesn't mean it's going to pay all their bills, but mm-hmm. I, they won't say no to more money. For sure, yeah. for sure. And uh, one thing we didn't mention in the Surface Pro 4, not changing at all. Same hardware as last year, same price as last year. That's kind of annoying to me. Uh, 
I've argued for a long time they should be including the keyboard in the price of the surfaces. That's another $130 you'll be paying on top of the $899. At this point, it's a year old. Just, like, throw that in. Make that clear. Every time I talk to people at Microsoft, they keep saying the surface is a great value. That was true last year. Less true a year later. Yeah. That I th- that was uh, one of the biggest stories actually from mm-hmm. yesterday, which is weird that this you know no news is news uh, mm-hmm. somehow. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that it didn't even get like a minor spec bump or a price yeah. cut but or anything. We've been saying the same thing with Apple when they failed to update the MacBook Air. I think yeah. when the Surface Pro, mm-hmm. one of their flagship products, gets long in the tooth, you have to point that out also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's a thing of we've. We've grown accustomed at this point to like really reliable upgrade cycles, and when all of a sudden a company skips one, even by a couple of months, yeah. everybody like loses their shit yeah. and thinks the world is coming to an end. And I'm fine with skipping it if you kind of give us something back in return. Like maybe the people who are waiting for the Surface Pro 4 to come down in price get a deal, yeah. something like that. That would be nice. I mean... Not that this will likely happen, but who knows? Maybe next week Microsoft will quietly release an update to the Surface Pro 4 and just be like, yeah, just, we didn't feel like they're taking always... time up yeah. at the event. I expect some decent Black Friday deals. Maybe yeah. that's what they're waiting for. Although the, the chances of them updating it in the next couple of weeks are pretty much non-existent yes. since they wasted time yes. on the Surface Book i7, <laughs> which is perhaps the worst named device Microsoft has ever yep. released. Yeah. Well, I, is it that the official name? It's just the i7 version of the Surface Book. So kind of what has I already been there. I thought that was the official name. I might be wrong on that. We yeah. might have to fa- uh, double check <laughs> that one. But I was pretty sure that the official name was Surf- Surface Book, Book i7. 7, which uh, is terrible. Yeah. You don't want to name things after processors. Yeah. At least, uh, you know, 16 hours of battery life. So they claim, even with like the usual like overestimation, that if they get at least 12 hours, that's yeah. a good number for a desktop like that or laptop. Thank like goodness that. we have a battery test that can time itself so that <laughs> yeah. I don't have to sit next to it. Yes. For 16 hours while I'm reviewing it. Yes. I'm going to throw it out there right now, though. If they successfully make a laptop that lasts 16 hours on a charge, With I, that will, power? I will yeah. buy it. Yeah. Like, without question, <laughs> trade in my ThinkPad, I become a Surface guy. Trading your ThinkPad. That's not saying much. Yeah. You, you've already made clear on this podcast you don't really like that thing. Oh, you're like I, cursed with it. I am cursed with it. Well, this is like really off topic, but I love my ThinkPads. I've always been a ThinkPad guy. I've had great experiences. There are things I love about this yep. machine. Um, I just think they made several mistakes with the yeah. keyboard. Have include. you seen the ThinkPad OLED yet? We reviewed that. I'll show I'll show the, you that yeah. <laughs> after a show. I mean OLED. Uh, I don't know. I just I just want I want a mechanical keyboard on my laptop. What? I just want to go back to like the old school okay. ThinkPad. I just I'm gonna break out my like whatever I think the last one I had was the X two hundred. Oh, that was great. Yeah. It still works. Mm-hmm. It's still fine. It's just the battery doesn't last anymore. <laughs> um any last thoughts or anything on Microsoft before we move on? Uh, I mean, I'm really looking forward to reviewing the Surface Studio. That's going to be fun on my desk. And uh, I imagine a lot of AOLers will also be like, what the heck is that? That oh. is such a strange-looking computer. So I plan on be being fun. in the office that week. Yeah. That's what happened when I reviewed the Surface Book last yeah. year. Yeah. yeah. And we'll have a review of that at some point, too. IT especially will come by your desk and yeah. say, <laughs> what's that? All right, uh, let's move on to our big topic of the week in group chat, and that is Twitter. Um, Normally, we don't like to talk earnings on this show because earnings are boring. Yes. Um, But I do think there's quite a lot to mine with Twitter right now. Uh, Their earnings came out today. It was, at best, a mixed bag. (laughs) 
Um, we won't bore you with the specific numbers. Also, I don't know the specific numbers off the top of my head. I don't really care. It's the outcome that's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess, Devendra, why don't you just give us like a quick recap of the last like couple of months at this point? I mean, there. they've been trying to get bought and that hasn't happened. We've heard Disney was a suitor. We heard that even Salesforce was a suitor. And the Salesforce thing was interesting because they very publicly said that they were just not interested in what they were kind of selling there and meanwhile today what we have is uh after these earnings or with these earnings they announced that they're firing 350 employees um and that follows another firing of like what uh another over 300 people yeah, it was like last 320 year. something last year or yeah something like that. so not you know clearly they're trying to tighten their belt a little um they're still dealing with the uh troll problem yep. and the abuse problem which they can't even handle but people are getting more and more vocal about it so kind of a storm on all fronts for twitter and that's a shame because it's still, I think, the social network I use the most. Same here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we should be clear that 350 and 320-something layoffs doesn't sound like a lot mm-hmm. uh, in the grand scheme of things. Because most of the time, if we're covering layoffs, we're talking layoffs in the thousands. Right. Often because we're covering uh, these giant companies. Twitter is not that big of a company. In it's 9% of, of their workforce. Yeah. So it's nearly one in... 10 people will be losing their jobs. Yeah. It's not good. I've, I have friends who've worked at Twitter and everybody get is super excited when they join in. And after a while, it's just, everyone says they just have no clue what they're doing. Like there's no direction. They don't know how to manage their products in general. Yeah. Um, I, I will defend Twitter slightly on that and say that is generally the reaction I hear from most people whenever yes. they start any job, which is they get super excited that yep. I'm joining this company and then six months in go, they have no idea what they're doing. Everyone is terrible. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> um, so one of the things I do want to point out mm-hmm. about these earnings, which I thought uh, we immediately when they announced this, I, I at least was like, well, this is going to be terrible, Yeah, is – they decided to bury their earnings and yeah. do it before markets opened, which is very rare mm-hmm. for an American company. 7 a.m., yeah. Well, 7 a.m. Eastern. Eastern, And yeah. Twitter is a San Francisco-based company, yeah. which means it was 4 a.m. local for them, which is basically just like setting off alarms all over the yeah. place that earnings are going to be really, really bad. You're going to have some happy journalists up in the morning to write that too. Yeah. So. Um, generally, the only earnings that come out at 4 a.m. If they could have announced their earnings as the Microsoft or Apple Live blog were, <laughs> was beginning, they would have done yeah. that too. Yeah, it's, it's about the only way they could have been more explicit about how much they wanted to bury this news. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's some, the sort of thing, not to get a, too inside baseball, that we, when we found out, we're like scrambling. We're like, well, we expected somebody on the West Coast to cover this because that's when you do earnings releases yeah. is after the market closes. We assign reporters to these things. Yeah. And then we're like, oh, but you'll be asleep now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like generally like we don't want to give it to somebody happens. on the East Coast because we don't want to make them stay late. So we give it to the West Coast guy and they're like, oh, well, we can't have you wake up at 3 a.m. <laughs> that's just unfair. Not great. Um, so yeah, I mean, it turned, turned the entire morning into turmoil basically because of it. Uh, so thanks for that Twitter. Good job. Thanks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but let's go back to this, uh, whole, whole purchasing thing. So they were trying to get bought. That does not appear like it's going to happen now. I mean, when even Salesforce doesn't want you. Yeah. And honestly, that seemed like a bad fit. Uh, Salesforce had the money for it, but it seems like them and everybody else is getting scared off, even Disney, by this troll problem. The funniest part to me was Disney belatedly waking up and saying, wah, this is not family friendly. (laughs) There are trolls here. I like your Muppet voice. What? (laughs) Wah? 
to be fair. Delayed reaction on their part. <laughs> Disney has a lot of not so family friendly properties. Yeah. That's that true. Like they yeah, they own Marvel and Marvel's yeah. producing these really, really adult superhero stories on Netflix. So Yeah. yeah I mean, and crazy. they have plenty of adult superhero comic books. Yes. Um yes. See, that's less weird to me. I I honestly don't know why Disney wanted Twitter in the first yeah, place, yeah. Uh, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. It just, all of the, who were the, other, yeah. who were the other potential suitors? We had Disney, we had Apple, Salesforce, Apple. Google. Anybody who has enough money to buy a company like Twitter. That was basically it. That yeah. was like the only qualifier. Nobody yeah. thought about what they were going to do with it, probably. They mm-hmm. were just like, can we afford it? Well, yes. that's how, I mean, I used to cover like startups and business deals more. And uh, that's kind of how a lot of these companies think, right? Oh, this company is growing. We just get to buy them. Like, who knows what we'll do with them? That was the thing when Facebook bought Instagram. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew what Facebook was going to do with Instagram. But Zuckerberg was like, hey, this is growing faster than our photos thing. So we get to buy this. And setting off a new standard in terms of like how much people would spend on a startup too. So yeah, there's rarely it seems like rarely is there a strategy to buying a thing like this. So I mean, what if no one buys it? <laughs> um, so it's a public company, right? It's it's still yep. beholden to investors, and if they're not making money and they're just losing all this money, it's a problem. Um, my instinct still is we need Twitter. You can't just yeah. close down. I think like Twitter. Yeah, I mean, if Twitter goes away, that's going to be a really sad day for Someone me. has to yeah. save Twitter. Somebody has to. The thing is, Twitter should be able to save itself, and it's just sad that it hasn't. I think in an ideal world, it would be its own independent thing, too. Um, honestly, it seems like something that should at some point just be like another internet service, right? Twitter, to me, is as useful as email or something like that. Like, I would love for it to go open completely in that sort of way, but we'll probably never see that. Yeah. Well, do you- what do you think the value is in Twitter becoming like an open communications protocol? Uh, monetarily, probably not much. But the thing is, when you create things like that, and we don't do that much anymore, right? Email was created, a lot of the earlier standards, uh, when they were building up the web, that was about building a community and creating something that everybody would would use. That you know That's here now already. So how do you go about creating something open like that? I don't think you can do that today. Like The internet is all about people buying property and real mm-hmm. estate now. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that was sort of the point I was trying to make. As you say, you know, you'd like to see it become this like yeah. open thing, but it, nobody does that. Nobody and does that. Even, it's impossible. Yeah, it's just never going to work probably. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to think of the most recent example of something like that I've seen. I guess like the best example I can think of is Jabber probably. Yeah. Like yeah. some they, they tried to build this open source yep. instant messaging platform so that everybody can use it. Google. Uh, G-chat was built on Jabber mm-hmm. so that you could use it across all these platforms and make it, it easy. Just got absorbed. Yeah, and yeah. just eventually they realized this is too limited. This isn't going to work. This mm-hmm. isn't what people want, and they shut it down. I don't even know what Jabber does anymore. Is that even a thing? Yeah. It's not, yeah, I don't know. So my dream for Twitter would be like this pure open thing. Sort of like the way I saw Twitter early on, my first interactions with Twitter was just like, oh, it's sort of like in the matrix right when he's when they start to see the like weird code just falling down the screen it's like oh i see how the world is built now and twitter is sort of like that stream of information like at its best you see what's going on everywhere um so yeah i would love for them to really double down on that but right now it's just kind of i know there's so many other problems they have to deal with yeah um and i mean the biggest problem is obviously we mentioned it passing before Mm -hmm. the troll problem uh they did say today that they have 
plans to do like meaningful in quotes uh, safety updates, but they didn't offer a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm kind of wondering like what to expect. Like, does anybody have an idea how to fix this? Because I don't. I think it's clear Twitter doesn't. Well, there there have been so many reports too about how endemic the problem is for Twitter because they don't know how to deal with harassment. They've honestly like have ignored it because some of those users do help their numbers, right? They help with engagement on the service. They give higher numbers of engagement and of users and whatnot. And if Twitter starts to take those numbers away, they look less valuable as a company too. So it's a shame. It's a shame that they've valued that more than protecting their users. Now things like the problems are getting more public. Uh, you have Leslie Jones talking about her issues with the service and everything. Uh, there was her SNL skit last week, I think. Um, they can't ignore it anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So any last thoughts on what Twitter needs to do next? Uh, I don't, well, probably laying off people is the best thing they could do to kind of like stay afloat and mm-hmm. do their thing, but, but they got to refocus. In they terms of their business people. model? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You don't yeah. know. I don't know. I think I, so many of us have ideas for the product, but not how they should make money. Yeah. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. Which, I mean, which is why we... We are product we're, users yeah. and, and not we're journalists. We don't critiquers of product. We're it's not just weird business how people. Everything they do has started to fail, right? They they hired a head of diversity who was just like a white dude trying to <sighs> handle diversity. They hired, uh, I believe it was them, they tried to hire a VR guy, right? And that was problematic. Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. was fired. Wasn't he gone, like, within 24 hours? Yes, because uh, TechCrunch wrote a story because he had this whole thing. Uh, he had, like, a railing post against uh, homeless people in San Francisco yeah. that really sound like an elitist thing against these degenerates. Um, they can't do anything right. No, they can't. And I, I almost feel bad because um, it's not like yeah. Snapchat where I feel like the people who run Snapchat are actively malicious people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think, like, they're bad humans. <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, <laughs> I feel like Twitter just can't help but get in its own way. Like, it's just like, it's, they, it's again, like the diversity, mm-hmm. uh, had a diversity thing. Like, that was a really easy one to knock out of the park. No. Yep. How did you screw that up? Like, and it, I don't think it was a yeah. malicious thing. I think they were, they were honestly trying to do the right thing. They mm-hmm. just don't know what they're doing. They don't doing. know what to do. Well, the thing is, too, it's like Jack Dorsey is back in charge and leading Twitter. I I think that guy has modeled himself on Steve Jobs in so many ways, like straight down to his behaviors and the way he's starting to act. But he doesn't have the substance beneath. Like he mm. doesn't have that kernel the of vision. like ingenuity or vision or anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, we are out of time though. So if, if the people out there want to continue this conversation about uh, how Twitter is Find falling Twitter. apart and how Snapchat is the worst yeah. and all that, hit us up on Twitter or email. Uh, Devendra, where can the fine people find you? Uh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter. Yes. Uh, not going to plug your other show today? Uh, yeah, I review movies at SlashFilm.com. Uh, we've had a bad run okay. of movies to review lately, so you, it, it's you, been rough. You don't want to encourage It's it. been rough. <laughs> okay. uh, I did see Arrival, so that review is going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Dana, where can the fine people find you? I am at Dana Wallman on Twitter. It's my full name with no space. Okay. Yep. Uh, I am at Terrence O'Brien. Lots of E's, no A's. Uh, you can also hit us up at Engadget Podcast on Twitter, or you can email us, podcast at Engadget.com. Uh, send us your thoughts, comments, questions, all of that stuff. We want to hear what you think. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe in iTunes or your 
podcast app of choice. Rate us on there. The more ratings we get, the more people can find us, and the more people can hear our lovely voices and all of the things that we think because we're important enough to have a show (laughs) yeah um but thank you for watching uh and listening don't forget to tune in next week but before we go i want to leave you with the comment of the week which comes from gallius gandalf for president sure the gray or the white he didn't specify i'm sorry (laughs) damn it gallius